Welcome to Business Talk, Sister Gok. Today's podcast episode title is How to Pitch a Product for a Pitch Competition. And with me, I have actually some family this time. Uh, my uh, husband's cousin, Billy. And Billy, I want you to introduce yourself and uh, what you do. Yeah. So I'm Billy Osmus and I am an entrepreneur. It's just like everybody else. Um, a couple years ago, I had started my own small business of refinishing furniture and I was doing a lot of painting for a lot of different clients. And the biggest thing that bothered me, uh, is I was starting to go through a lot of plastic paint tray liners and I remember painting my paintbrushes one day and I was like, oh my gosh, I just need to get something reusable because I am going through so much waste and having to keep going back to the store. And so I literally went to Amazon and looked for a reusable paint tray liner and nothing was showing up. And so I was like, okay, well, if Amazon doesn't have it, Google surely does. So I went to Google and nothing was coming up on Google either. And so I... I literally stumbled ap uh, across an opportunity to be able to mm -hmm, invent mm -hmm. a reusable paint tray liner. So I contacted a friend who does um, patents for a different company and just asked if he could do a search for me and he couldn't find anything. So it was at that point that uh, I decided to contact an attorney and start the process of getting a patent. And here I am stumbling into a different uh, industry and a different business when I had just started a another one. So I kind of fell out of refinishing and repainting furniture. And now here I am trying to build a product from scratch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and I'll give you a little background too, because you, you're probably not aware, but uh, I've, I've trained Facebook's algorithm to give me updates on your journey. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I keep, every time you post something, I'll like comment on it so that I can see it later. And yeah. anyways, so that's been kind of fun just to watch you go through like not only the the life cycle of like figuring out the whole new business, but then also pitching in competitions or talking to people about your product and developing the um, structure that you have in creating awareness. And that's why I was super excited about, oh, we should totally talk about mm -hmm. how you pitch your product and how you went to competitions with it. Because I think that it's something that other people have always like dreamed of doing, mm -hmm. but it's where do you even start, you know? And so I guess that that kind of goes, you give me a little bit of the why. So I want to get into how you do it. So how did you prepare your design to be something other people would even consider looking at? Um, well, when it comes to the design of the product itself, um, I designed it specifically how I wanted my product to be because I was facing a lot of uh, problems with my own business and going through a lot of waste. And I wanted something reusable because I was lazy when it came to painting. I just, I hated washing out my paintbrushes and my paint tray liners, trying to save them every single time. So I'm like, okay, well, if, if I can have something reusable, I can let my paint dry on it and then wash it out later or chip it out later, peel it out, whatever. And so once I had done my own prototype just to, you know, first of all, see if it would even work mm -hmm. and I started using it more and more and I realized, okay, this is, I think this is something that other people are facing the same problem. Um, and so there is a local um, entrepreneur center here in Iowa where I'm at, and I just called them. I said, what do I even do? <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to do from here. 
And they connected me with an engineering student, actually, who helped me put together the step files and the CAD programming because I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to build these things. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of helped me work together on the design of what we wanted it to look like and how it would fit a traditional paint tray that you would pick up in the store. Wow. Okay. And so with that aspect, I know this is like something I'm just thinking about now. Um, So the student that you're working with, how did you make sure that your intellectual property of like your actual design wasn't something that say like the university would claim as theirs or whatever, as you're working with a student to design it? Yeah. So the entrepreneur center that I had worked with is out of the community college and automatically, even before you even start talking to them, um, they will, they will bring up the NDAs and everything because that is what they do. They specifically help starting entrepreneurs. And if there's anything that has, you know, uh, intellectual property IP that's, you know, designs things that need to be protected. Um, they'll sign anything and everything before you even meet with them. Um, and so the engineering student, he was um, at the school, but also partially employed through the mm, uh, entrepreneur okay. center. So he had to sign all the same things as well when he started working with me. Okay. No, yeah. That's a really good thing to be aware of because not every program works mm-hmm. that way. And I think that that's important to just to think through. So what was the the next step then in developing your product once you had your um, model ready to go with like your CAD software and everything? Yeah, the toughest thing was figuring out how to even prototype. So I had done my first basic prototype just with foam board because I was working with silicone and I knew the silicone wasn't going to adhere to the foam board. So I I literally just went over to the dollar store and grabbed a bunch of foam board and um, kind of made my own prototype with a plastic paint tray liner and ordered some silicone and kind of poured it that way. And mm-hmm. um, I'm still using the same prototype two years later. Um, and so once we kind of had a better design put together, the the school had a 3D printer that they were able to print a mold for me to be able to use and pour the silicone into. And we did face a lot of problems with figuring out, you know, the right depth and the right volume of the silicone and working with silicone, the type of silicone you have, because the silicone that I am working with, you have a five minute working time. So as soon as you mix mm-hmm. part A and part B together, you have to work really fast to get it into the mold before it starts curing. And then once it's in, it cures for about an hour and then you can peel it out. Well, we also ran into the issue that the 3D molds, they're just not super sturdy and they would break after maybe a couple molds. Um, Hmm. So that's when I kind of started to looking into doing some more manufacturing with this because I knew I wasn't going to be able to pour all of these for customers right off the bat by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had the product designed, you kind of realize you need a little bit more manufacturing support. So, and, and I would imagine you need your numbers to even be able to pitch for competition, right? You need mm-hmm. to know what is the price point you're going to be selling at? Is it competitive for the industry? So what was the next step in understanding um, if it was even feasible to manufacture? Yeah. So that was the nice thing about when I went through this entrepreneur center is they recommended that I go through, um, it's called their venture school program and it's about a semester long and $300 to join. And then you have the opportunity at the end of the semester to pitch your product and then you can win money. So essentially if you win money, you've paid for more than the class in of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, so once I worked with them, they were the ones that kind of helped me figure out, uh, who my target market was going to be, how big the market was, what is my market opportunity, 
Um, you know, what type of growth is there going to be? How do I figure out the cost of uh, my product? And if I manufacture in the United States versus overseas and shipping costs and all of this stuff. And so it was really, really valuable for me to be able to go through this course. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend anybody that's trying to build a product. The biggest thing that you can do is connect with uh, like the local small business office or association or any type of entrepreneur center that can help you. Because a lot of those, a lot of the time, those resources are for free. And that's the, that's really helpful as a starting entrepreneur is figuring out how you can do all these things for free. Um, because you know, you're low on funds. So, um, once they were able to kind of help me figure out the process of all of this, uh, things kind of started to fall into place. And mind you, now that I've kind of been further into the process and talking with more manufacturers and getting price bids back, that has helped me figure out the numbers more. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. Yeah. And, and tell me a little bit about, so at the end of this whole class, you're going to pitch, uh, what what kind of questions did you prepare for when you knew the judges were going to ask you about your product? Yeah, a lot of the questions that they had asked for me is uh, manufacturing. And so I had to do a ton of research on manufacturing and what it would look like in the United States in the United States or overseas. And um they also kind of questioned me on my target audience. And that was a big thing going through this class in general was um, they really want you to interview as many people as you can. And mind you, I was still in the patenting process. So it was difficult for me to interview people without actually tell them, telling them what I was working on. And so I had to kind of give them a general idea of like, this is, you know, if you had the opportunity to buy something reusable versus a one-time use, you know, how much would you spend for something like this? Yeah. So they would ask about manufacturing overseas versus in the United States and what that would look like. And then also based on what your target market and target audience was going to really be. Um, And so, yeah, the whole process of that was interviewing as many people as you can. And again, a lot of it was trying to interview these people while I was going through the patenting process and gauge, you know, how much they would pay for a product like mine without actually telling them what my product was. And so that was pretty difficult in the process. But at the same time, I quickly realized that a lot of people were facing the same problems that I was when it came to painting. And they didn't like the plastic one-time use, especially if they are doing painting more frequently than, you know, the mm-hmm. average homeowner. Mm-hmm. And I had originally thought that my target audience was going to be professional contractors, professional painters. And I realized they didn't really care. Um And there are a handful of them that I would say, you know, do care about the environment, do care about, you know, the price and the cost of it. But most of them do just bill the client, whoever they're working with, for those supplies. So they don't really care in the process as long as it's cheap. Um, The people that I figured out were going to be my biggest target audience were going to be the DIYers and Mm -hmm. millennial homeowners. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a lot of the judges had asked me about is um, they were surprised that that was going to be my target audience. And I was honestly surprised, too. But as I got through the process and started talking to more people, I quickly realized like these are the people that really want something like this. Yeah, because they're more they're more conscious in general about mm-hmm. the choices that they're making to yeah. um, care about the environment and for sustainable hobbies, right? And right and that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of DIYers, I mean, they're very cost conscious as well, and they're trying to figure out how we can DIY on a budget because a lot of reasons they're doing DIY is to save money because they can't necessarily hire a contractor. Mm. Yeah, no, and that's, I think, 
honestly like a really big selling point that you probably uncovered through all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I did have a question about your patenting process. What what would you say like a entrepreneur can expect to budget for on average for going through that patenting process? Um, it depends on the type of patent you're going for. And also if you are just doing like a U.S.-based patent or if you're planning to do an international patent or specific countries. Um, so specifically for my patent, it is a utility patent where a utility patent is specifically going to cover the materials that might be used or if it's some type type of technology where there's moving parts, um, you're protecting anything on how your product works or how it's held together, the materials that are used, whereas a design patent is specifically the design of it. So for mine, I didn't do a design patent because With a paint tray, you know, there's the treads on it when you use the paint roller that they're kind of usually like a bubble design or a herringbone design. Mm -hmm. Well, those are pretty Mm -hmm. universal. You see them everywhere. And I'm not going to be able to really protect myself if somebody decides to use the same tread design as I do. It's not going to hurt me in the process. But what I do have patented or patent pending is the utility of it. So nobody can be able to uh, infringe upon my patent by using silicone. Um, That is where I am protected. So if they really wanted to try and get around it, they would have to figure out a different type of material that is far enough away from what my patent is uh, put together as. Interesting. So I guess that, and with that being said, the average cost really then depends on what you're going for. But what would you say um, would be a good threshold budget to at least cover what most people would go for? At minimum, I would say budgeting at least $5,000 for the design patent. It's going to be much cheaper because it's, you know, it's simpler to patent a design versus anything that has working and moving parts. Um, And I was fortunate enough again, through the entrepreneur center that I was working with here that they have a retired patent attorney on their staff. So convenient. (laughs) Yes. So mind you, um, she is not, I mean, she is licensed, but she's retired. So she's not working right now, but she is able to give advice and she worked with me to put together my own patent. And essentially we had the packaged, you know, product, everything together for the patent and then brought it to an attorney, um, which she introduced me to. So I know that there's a good working relationship there and she trusts him. Um, and so we brought everything to him. He basically just had to look it over and get it filed. Um, we did have to hire an artist to be able to put together the sketches that are needed Mm, for mm -hmm. a patent. Um, because on paper, my product just looks like a standard paint tray. We need to just show the flexibility of it and how it would be used. So we did have to hire a sketch artist. So all in all, I paid a little over $2,500. Okay. Um, that is for the all the filing fees for my attorney to look over all the paperwork. Um, but I would definitely expect to pay twice the amount if you don't have any type of patent information together. But mm-hmm. in order to save money, if you want to put a patent together, you need a patent is the more information that you can put together. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect, but the more information you can put together for an attorney for them to be able to look over and go off of mm-hmm. the faster and the easier it's going to be for them. And it's going to, take them less time, which is going to cost less for you in the long run. 
Yeah. Well, and, and the reason I'm trying to really hone in on this first and foremost, because I think it's important to have that in place before you pitch a product openly, right? Yes, because, definitely. And, and why do you think that that's so important? Well, it, it's really important to be able to protect yourself or know that you're protected, even if your patent hasn't been officially filed yet. Um, once it's or officially been um, like certified or have gone through, once it's filed, you are patent pending, you are protected. Um, nobody can infringe upon that because you can sue them for, for that. Um, but it's important to protect any type of intellectual property or your design or whatever it is, because as soon as that gets out, there are going to be people that might try and snatch that up and use it for themselves um, or, you know, if they have more money or if they already have a company that's established and they find your design, um, they could snatch it up and grab it. For example, part of the reason I'm actually avoiding selling on Amazon is because Amazon specifically hires attorneys and lawyers to sift through all of the products that are being sold and to look at their patents and figuring out how they can get around them, design their own so it becomes an Amazon essential and sell it for cheaper. And it's really hard for entrepreneurs because mm -hmm. there's there's specific attorneys that are out there hired by big companies to figure out how they can get around these patents, produce it for cheaper and sell it for cheaper. And then you're losing out. Yeah. Well, and and that's something I think a lot of people don't want to talk about because mm -hmm. um, one, they're they're honestly like I think there's some fear there of mm -hmm. um, going up against something that could potentially harm you in the end or whatever. And, and when companies like that have the money to drop on it, they don't care, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and it's kind of like this aspect of like, you're trying to compete against somebody who has far more resources than you to just protect your intellectual property. And right. um, honestly, like that's a really, really scary thing if you're a small business owner um, to yes. deal with. So I definitely see why you're strategic about avoiding that aspect. So tell me a little bit about um, how you prepared for your pitch, what did you use, like visuals, videos, What? how did it work, and what do you think was like valuable in captivating your audience as well as the judges with your product? Yeah, so depending on who you're pitching to and where you're pitching, um, a lot of times they give you a really limited amount of time. I've been a part of pitch competitions where they give you two minutes. Uh, I've been a part of one that gives you like six minutes, and it, it's really it's typically a short amount of time that you have to get all of this condensed information in there. Um, the biggest thing that you want to capture in your pitch is going to be what is the problem that you faced and uh, how did you, what was your solution to this problem? And of course those things are important. Anytime you can tell a story that showcases your product and how it came about is usually pretty important. So if there's a way that you can condense your story in a short amount of time, uh, like an elevator pitch, so to speak, where it's only a few sentences, um, then you're going to capture your audience that way before kind of going into all the nitty gritty and all the details, like the, the numbers, um, who your audience is and all that type of stuff, how you're going to bring it to market, what's your market opportunity and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how important is it to know your numbers when you're ready to prepare? Um, really important. And that's the thing is when I was going through this venture school program, I was still very new and I didn't really know my numbers yet because I wasn't fully talking to 
manufacturers at that point. So I didn't Mm -hmm. totally know what my cost structure was going to be. But at that point, I was talking more so on the numbers of my market opportunity. So and that is still equally as important once you're like pitching to investors and getting further on into the process. Um, But if you're just going to like pitch competitions just to win a little bit of money, um, it's good to know a little bit more about your market opportunity if you don't know much about what your financials are going to look like quite yet. Okay. Yeah. So is your business plan something that they consider before they even have you um, be part of the competition? What's the entry process look like to even be accepted? Um, Basically nothing. (laughs) You can sign up basically anywhere. Anybody that has any type of a pitch competition, a lot of times you can just go in and sign up, put your business name, and maybe it might ask for like a short, um, you know, description of what your company is or what product it is. Um, but otherwise, all the ones that I have been a part of, it's pretty basic. Never really have an entry fee unless it's part of um, like a conference that you're attending and you have to buy a ticket to go to the conference to even be in the pitch competition. Then, yeah, there might be a little bit of cost there. Um, I know there are some much larger ones that you're pitching for, you know, maybe even up to $100,000. Those, I'm sure there's a bit more of a process to even be a part of. And they usually will have like a a three-step process. So one, you need to even apply to be a part of that Mm -hmm. pitch. The second round, you're going to pitch to a smaller panel of judges that's going to be closed to the public. So you're only pitching to judges. And if you move on further, then you would pitch to a third round where it's going to be in front of a live audience. And they give you, you know, they'll probably give you four minutes, five minutes, some maybe seven minutes. um, And that will also have the final judges from there. And I have tried to get to those competitions and it's very hard especially when you are not well established yet in your business like you don't have employees yet or you're not manufacturing yet you haven't made sales Um, that's really hard for starting entrepreneurs especially if you're bringing a product to market is when you don't have sales and you don't have anything to really show for it yet Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard to get into those bigger pitch competitions yeah. So, okay. And I have a couple questions about that, that process. If you're in a live audience, uh, mm-hmm. how much did you practice and did you time it? Like what was, did you get like feedback? How did that work? Oh my gosh. Yes. I practiced over and over and over again. <laughs> um, luckily with the, again, the entrepreneur center that I worked with, uh, they helped me revise my pitch and I practiced with them. I went to the university to practice because then I could use an actual, um, an actual, not whiteboard, uh, projector and the clicker and everything. So I could time it out that way. Um, and then they would tie me and kind of ask tough questions that judges might ask. So I could be able to show my backup slides after my pitch was done if they had additional questions to show more support if they had potentially asked those questions. Um, I practiced in my car anytime I was driving anywhere. I would tie myself on my phone. And when I actually had gotten to a live pitch, Um, I was terrified. I was absolutely Mm. terrified because it ended up being standing room only. People were crowded in and um, yeah, I was pitching for $10,000 and that was, that was scary, but uh, it was also like really adrenaline moving and really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, that that's good. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you have or resources would you recommend to anybody who's looking to um, prepare for a pitch competition? 
Um, if you haven't gone through the process of being a part of any type of um like pitch course or class or any type of any type of entrepreneur class that you can take that would help you work through that process of figuring out who your audience is, what your numbers look like, uh, you know, any type of manufacturing that you might need, anything that you can put together in that information and somebody that can help you with all of that is really going to benefit you in the long run. Because if you can talk to somebody who has gone through these pitches before, um, then you're going to have a better insight of how to prepare yourself. But otherwise, the biggest thing is don't just pitch to yourself, pitch to other people, whether that's mm-hmm. your family or somebody, you know, that you're a business mentor or whoever that might be, because then they're going to be able to give you quality feedback and ask you tough questions that um, somebody might not always think of or somebody um, that or a question that the judges might think of later that you might not think of on your own. So anytime you can practice with other people is going to be really huge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my my last question on this, and then we're going to transition to the gawk portion of this episode. Okay. Do you think that even if you don't win, is it still valuable to pitch your product? Absolutely. Pitch as many times as you can anywhere you can go because you never know who's going to be in the audience, especially if it's you know publicly open. There mm-hmm. are investors that go to these pitch competitions just to sit and figure out who is going to be the next best thing. And even if you might not uh, sign on with an investor or sign on with another business partner or something, it's always good to still just have those connections and, um, you know, just build build who you are and share your story because you never know who you're going to meet in the process and, um, you know, what's going to come from that. And me just being able to pitch in all these other competitions, um, I've just been able to meet so many people and have so many good connections that have really helped me in this process. And that's, that's huge in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Let's thank you so much for sharing about that, by the way. Um, tell me your business name and how people can find you. Yeah. So my business name is Silicone Studios and you can check out my website. It's silicone-studios.com. And there you can kind of learn a little bit more about my product and the backstory of it all and a little bit about me as well. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you're also on social media too, right? Yep, I am more active on Instagram, and that is silicone.studios, and uh, the same on Facebook as well. Um, And I did just start a business TikTok, and uh, so I need followers on there because right now I only have two. (laughs) And apparently on TikTok, you need to have more than a thousand followers to even put a website link. So really. Yeah, it's it's annoying. But the the TikTok uh, handle for that is um, the repaint lady. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so now in the gawk portion of this episode. Now, usually I I prep people beforehand. I did not prep you. But (laughs) (laughs) um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I know this is more specific to like your product and it's not necessarily like completely ridiculous of a, of an, a thought. Um, but so I want to know about your approach to funding because like mm-hmm. the way that you have your website set up, it's like pre-order now. So tell me why you did that and, and what's the, the strategy there? Cause I want to know more about how you came to that decision. 
Yeah, so I had looked at doing crowdfunding, um, small business loans. I'm still looking into investment. And the biggest thing I came down was to the pre-ordering um, because as I was getting closer and closer to manufacturing and finding somebody to work with, I was able to kind of uh, hone in on what my actual cost is going to be to manufacture and ship it and get it to my doorstep to be able to give it to other people. And so, um, you know, just interviewing a lot of people and figuring out what my cost is going to be and what they're going to pay for it, I was able to kind of figure out what number I wanted and put that up as a pre-order sale. And the tough thing with that is you're going to face setbacks, which I already have. So I was anticipating shipping out those pre-orders by, uh, you know, March, April, and now it's looking like, you know, July, um, which is hard. But when you're doing pre-orders and taking on that route of financing, you have, I think your audience has to realize that there could be setbacks because this isn't manufactured yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so as long as you can share with other people that that is your process and that, um, Hey, you might not get this for a few months, but, uh, this is what the process is going to be like, then, you know, the more transparency you can give the better. But I did look at doing some crowdfunding, which on my website, there are different crowdfunding type packages. I had talked to both Kickstarter and Start Engine, and unfortunately, they said I wouldn't be a good fit because the tough thing is with crowdfunding, it is a full-time job. You have to at least at minimum put in 40 hours a week calling people, creating email lists, doing marketing, this whole process. And uh, a lot of times you're going to end up spending more money in the process of putting together a crowdfunding campaign than you are just using that money to invest into building your own product. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, I am a stay-at-home mom right now too. So I'm trying to balance being able to grow my business and take care of my kids. And unfortunately, most investors in that process won't take you on unless you are full time. And so it's, again, trying to figure out what is going to be the best route of financially supporting yourself. But uh, for most entrepreneurs, that's going to be bootstrapping right away in the beginning, unless you have some funds stored away um, that you've been building up or you've been doing your own investing kind of on the backside that you have some funds to be able to take out and use, mm -hmm. um, which is great just in general. But otherwise, I mean, in the process, I've been selling a lot of things, just garage sales and trying to save money here and there. And, uh, you know, if we get a little bit of cash or whatnot, then that goes right into my account and, you know, kind of keep going from there. But as far as the pre-orders go, it just kind of helps bring in a little bit of money, uh, you know, either weekly or monthly, depending on how much is coming in to be able to kind of push me forward a little bit more while I don't have a full-time job and I'm staying at home with my kids right now. Yeah. Well, and I just want to add to that piece, like, I think that a lot of people who are excited about, oh, this is this needs to be something that becomes a reality because it solves my problem or yeah. it needs to be in the world mm -hmm. is they almost like are a part of your journey then with you, even though they're just, I'm going to pre-order one product. It's like five bucks, whatever. But like the reality mm -hmm. is when you do that, 
or whatever the price point is that they're pitching in at, they then become invested in your journey to getting their final product, right? And right. anything that you do as an update is like, you have your own little audience of people that want to know what's happening with the business next, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. There's actually a group of DIYers um, that they did something really special over the holidays. I don't even, I've never even met these people. <laughs> they were just, yeah. you know, started following me on social media and a group of DIYers that are all women or moms um, that usually stay at home, they uh, kind of banded up together to raise some funds to be able to donate to me to help with some startup costs. And that was really special. And all of a sudden, uh, well, I realized they had blocked me on social media for like a week. So that way they could talk about me without me even knowing. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, then the end of the week, the end of the week, they uh, sent me a message and like, hey, we raised this money for you and all this stuff. And it made me cry, which is like, wow, it's really fantastic seeing people that I don't even know, you know, across the nation that are really excited about this product and want to use it and want to support me. And that's the biggest thing is like when you get that first support from somebody that is outside of like your circle, somebody that's outside of your family and your friends, somebody that you don't know that pre-orders your product. Like yesterday, I got a pre-order from somebody in Oregon. I have no idea who they are, but that's really cool. And it's really just like that confidence boost for entrepreneurs. When you sign on with somebody or get that pre-order or recognition from somebody you don't know, you're like, wow, okay, people actually want to see this happen. Yeah, that is so exciting. Oh, well, thank you for joining me today. This has just been a delight. And and I'm going to say too, like just throughout all of the things that you've learned, I think you just have a wealth of knowledge in all of these things that any entrepreneur can learn from in preparing for a pitch or developing their product. And it's just been super valuable to me for sure. Well, if you have enjoyed this episode, you should give it a review on Spotify and I will see you next time.